You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined not so alongside Shotgun Spratling, who is joining us via Skype today. Uh, USC will head off to the desert to face the Arizona Wildcats, hoping to take their momentum after a win over Washington State in the Coliseum. Before we get into that, as a reminder, you can catch us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom, and subscribe there. You can also email us questions and submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. And a special shout out to Brian in Japan. Shotgun, we're an international podcast now. He said that he was listening to us on a bike ride in Japan on Sunday. So Sweet. That's, that's pretty awesome. cool. So shouts to Brian for that. But Shotgun, how are you doing today? I'm hanging in there. I'm ready to get get up uh, to get out to Arizona and get some desert heat, you know, and uh, see what's going on out there for the Trojans. Me too. Me too. Um, what were your general takeaways from Washington State before we get into it? You know, I, I thought that USC did something they haven't done so far this year. They turned the tide of the momentum. That was something that you know was in my stock down last week. You know, after the Texas game. They had opportunities in that game where they just couldn't get over the hump. Once things started snowballing on them, they had no chance of recovering. But this week, it was back and forth. You know, they they uh, go down by two scores early in the second half. They respond. The defense steps up and should get some three and outs. After that, they go ahead. Washington State immediately answers back. But does USC fold? No. They they later drive down and get a touchdown to take the lead, get the two-point conversion, and then they come up with a big special teams play. So, you know, some things that we haven't seen from this team. So maybe this team is actually growing. I think that's a good sign. They did had some things where it showed some growth from the first couple of games this season. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but we'll get into the, into that uh, in stock up, stock down. We actually had to stock up uh, submission, mental toughness, that the team turned it around, like you said. So shouts to, to that submission. But who do you got for stock up? I got the offensive line, and you – you t- I know Clay wow, Hilton said shocking. that he thought they took it took a step forward this week, and I agree with that. I know a lot of people very vehemently disagreed when they were you know, with my tweet of uh, Clay Helton's uh, comment, but I agree. The offensive line, you know, they opened some running holes. Uh, there were some lanes there for for guys to go. There were still some issues, but you know, pass blocking, they were terrific. You know, there were two sacks in the game. Both of those actually were on JT Daniels, I believe, rather than on the offensive line. You know, that was a you know seven man blitz coming from Washington State. They're going all out on it, and that's one. Those are two uh, plays where JT Daniels has to get the ball, get rid of the ball a little bit quicker, rather than the offensive line just getting beat up front. You know, I thought the offensive line played much better than they did against uh, against Texas, which is obvious by the fact that they actually had rushing yards this week. So that's a positive. That is a positive. How much is that more of the opponent USC faces versus USC's O-line turning it around? I mean, I think it's a combination. Obviously, I think that Washington State has a smaller front and USC chose to run straight at them some rather than, you know, doing a ton of pulling and, and different things like they like to do with their power plays. They decided, hey, let's go straight at them. Don't let these guys shoot the gaps and get get in the backfield and, and cause some disruption. Let's attack them. And I like the fact that they did that going up against this defensive line, made them bring extra guys on the defensive side, bring some run blitzes, bring some pass blitzes, because they knew they weren't going to be able to get through the offensive line as easily as Texas was able to the previous week. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> I had stuck up for Tyler Vaughn's. 
Seven catches for 64, 64 yards, a touchdown, and a nice two-point conversion, getting that foot down. Um, that was b- nice both on JT and Tyler. Uh, I think this was the game that you, we finally saw the Tyler Vaughns we're used to seeing. It was a good turnaround um, and stock up for general chemistry with the wide receivers. I think you heard that from Michael Pittman and JT Daniels and, and Tyler after the game is that you know maybe having that three-man rotation, having less reps for JT in the beginning is difficult so it sounds like they're starting to get the groove four games in now going into their fifth game so stock up for Tyler Vaughn's and for getting chemistry with those wide receivers not named Amon Ross St. Brown yeah I also had Daniels to receiver chemistry I thought that it was much better just the placement of some of the passes that he made I mean the third third and seven I believe it was where he picks up 21 yards to Tyler Vaughn's that sets up the last touchdown that ball you know, that's not a, a great matchup there. It's one-on-one. The safety is coming over the top. So the safety actually hits Tyler Vaughn as he's trying to come down with that catch as well. But JT Daniels puts it in a place where only Tyler Vaughn is going to catch it. He throws it high. You know, he throws it where he knows his guys can go up. I mean, the DB did a good job of trying to go up to get the ball too. But Tyler Vaughn's obviously is going to out jump pretty much any DB that the USC is going to face. And JT put it in a place where he could go get it. You know, he talked about it this week about how, you know, he's learning where those guys would like the ball for one, but also where he can throw it to get them open. So with with Michael Pittman, maybe he throws a deep ball and he throws a little bit longer, let Pittman run under it. With Tyler Vons, he knows he can throw it up and let Tyler Vons, you know, use his leaping ability and his ability to catch the ball in the air uh, and kind of contort his body to make some catches. So I think that he's learning that. And like you said, uh, you know, it, it's kind of difficult when you come in you have a month to prepare for this and you're not getting all the first team reps with those guys so you know I think that that is a evolution of the offense as well and I think it's only going to get better when as JT learns each of his receivers uh, favorite traits and you know favorite routes and everything else yeah I agree um what about that specific you told me this in our film study yesterday that specific play uh that JT threw to to Pittman he said he wouldn't have thrown that earlier in, in the season right yeah, the play at the end of the first half, which was which should have been a touchdown for Michael Pittman. You know, I asked Pittman, you know, at, at, after practice yesterday, was is there a certain throw that maybe you've seen in the last week or so that maybe you wouldn't have seen from JT earlier? Kind of illustrates, you know, the chemistry that you guys now have. And he said that pass. He said that pass is not intended for him. He said, but he trusted me to go get it. And Michael Pittman makes a terrific grab on it. If apparently he did not get his foot in according to the Pac-12 refs, but that's Pac-12 refs being Pac-12 refs. Uh, maybe there wasn't enough to overturn it on the replay. I don't know necessarily if there was, but the initial ruling should have been a touchdown. That was a great catch, too, by Michael Pittman. I mean, it's a straight fingertips catch, uh, you know, up away from the body. And that's a throw where, you know, may, you know, JT maybe previously a couple weeks ago might have said, you know what, I don't, I don't think that's an option for me. Let me look elsewhere. But, you know, the fact that he was able to make that decision quickly, I'm going to trust Michael Pittman. And that showed a lot of confidence in his receivers. And I think that's something you're seeing from him with the with those older guys on the outside is that he's gaining confidence with them as well. Yeah, which makes you wonder if USC maybe didn't have such an incline or such a tough uh, stretch in September, if JT Daniels was able to get more experience under his belt, given how early he came in, do you think USC has a different record in September? Yeah, I mean, that could be different. I mean, the, the fact that you're playing, you know, three to three of your opponents are going to be tough opponents. 
uh, at least, and, and maybe a fourth, you know, looking at it before the season coming in. So you think that, you know, if you have a couple more cupcakes early in the season, maybe he can get that chemistry down by the third game and then the fourth game he can take off. But that's never going to be the case with USC schedule because they're always going to play Stanford early in the season and because they're always trying to schedule some tough out-of-conference games. So, uh, unfortunately, you, you got if you're going to throw a freshman quarterback in there, he's got to be able to prepare really quickly. And maybe this is uh, maybe this is a step towards you see this team continue to develop. The offensive line plays better like it did this week, and JT has that connection. You're just going to see the offense continue to get better. And I think the defense, I mean, they gave up 36 points. But I, I think that they are going to be much better than that. That's a tough, tough, uh, tough cover for the defense having to face Mike Leach's offense on a short week. So I think they'll continue to get better as well. I wanted to talk about this a little bit later, but we're into it right now. As far as the offensive performance we saw from USC against Washington State, I know we sound optimistic, but how much do you really take out of this performance? It's it's one performance. And I feel like some of it was is was hero ball. It was a little bit like they it, feast or famine. You're expecting Tyler uh, Michael Pittman to to shed a block. You're expecting guys to make certain plays or get a pass interference call that doesn't always go your way. Like we saw against Texas and and Stanford, you don't always get those things that you're hoping for. And I think you saw that against Washington State, where everything kind of went right in that regard. But is that? Can we expect that type of offensive consistency going forward? That's something that I'm not really sure about. The thing is, when you when we watched tape, you looked and you saw that Washington State, the very first drive, Washington State has seven in the box. USC really attacks it really hard with a running game. And then Washington State makes an adjustment. They put eight. They put nine in the box uh, after that first drive. So you're going to have to throw the ball. You're going to have to make connections on the outside. And USC's receivers are good enough that you throw that little hitch route and maybe they break a tackle and they take it. Same thing with uh, Tyler Vaughn's last year against Arizona State. You know, you throw that little quick route on a one-on-one covers on the outside and give your guys a chance. So, I mean, it looks like hero ball, but it's what the defense was giving USC. So I think they're just taking their shots when they can. Um, now, do they always have to take the deep shots? I, not necessarily, but I think that they could also, you know, run some, you know, some in routes and stuff at 15 yards or stuff like that to get guys open on in one-on-one coverage as well. But uh, maybe that's a, another step in the development of the offense as the season progresses, where you start seeing more route combinations uh, from the receivers with JT Daniels. But I don't think that it's a, a, an issue. Now, it definitely helps a lot when you get those pass interference calls because. Those calls were there in the Stanford game for sure. And there might have been a one or two in the Texas game as well that they just weren't getting. They, they didn't get the calls, and it helped a lot. I mean, you look at that drive before halftime, and you get down. Uh, you, you get 12 plays in 90 seconds, but you also have a pass interference play that gets you down into the 10-yard line. Uh, so I, I think that you know those calls definitely help them, but I don't think it's complete feast or famine. I think it's partly them just taking what the defense has given them. Okay, Interesting. I had stock up on Talanoa Hufunga. Uh, he had his first start against, uh, for, in his career as a college player against Washington State, which is kind of nice for him. His whole family actually came down for the game. So, and he said it's much different playing, uh, for them instead of a high school crowd. Uh, but I thought he did, he played pretty admirably for his first start. Um, I don't think he got beat at all. I think he got beat once, but that was with the weird, uh, leech play where they got a penalty for the, the, guy who was supposed to be the center not having his shoulders square uh but i didn't see him he didn't seem like a liability too much um he's definitely still learning on the job and getting thrown in there i definitely don't think when he enrolled in spring he was imagining to to get as much playing time as he's getting um cj pollard didn't have any 
defensive snaps, I believe, uh, against Washington State. And we're seeing in practice, Talanoa is that first team guy. So it looks like that's the guy who's, who's Clan- Clancy is going with now. Um, and a little heard on the sideline anecdote. Uh, I had asked Talanoa in our interview, hey, what did you see from Gardner Minshew? And he's like, who? And I'm like, you want to quarterback? And he goes, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I'm still getting used to interviews. I'm still trying to learn my position. And so <laughs> I think that he's a little bit of trying to dog paddle, keep his head above water, getting thrown into the action. But I think that he's doing a good job. And I think uh, he'll be a really good player going forward. Yeah, you saw in this game and the concern when you put a freshman in there is you're going to get beat deep. Uh, you know, the, that's the advantage of having C.J. Pollard in there versus Talanoa. He's a little bit more experienced. He's not a guy that's going to get beat over the top uh, because he knows the assignments. He's not going to bust the covers. But you also saw the difference with Talanoa. He's much more of an aggressive player going downhill. You saw him, I think, the second play or third play of the game yeah. where they tried to throw, a, you know, a pass out in the flat. And Talanoa comes straight downhill and, you know, rocks the guy for, you know, a one-yard loss, I think. And he had a couple other nice tackles, you know, and hits coming downhill like that. So that's the advantage of having Talanoa versus CJ is more of a guy that's going to stay over the top, is going to be more of a cerebral guy that's not going to give up the big plays, that type of thing. Hufunga is going to be more active uh, than CJ is. So you kind of had to balance, you tr- kind of have to balance what you desire out of your safety in that, at that position. So I thought he did a really nice job in his first game. Uh, he, he got beat once over the – I don't know if it was even his coverage, but he made a tackle you know, on the uh, Washington State's last drive over the middle that basically saved a touchdown, which I'm not sure if it was necessarily just his coverage. If he was over the top, I think John Houston was also chasing Jameer Calvin as well. So uh, there was another one there where you know, if he doesn't make that tackle, that's a touchdown, and USC's then trailing and having to drive it down. So I thought he did a really nice job as well. Yep. Who else do you got? I got special teams. You know, give the, give them credit for where credit is due. Uh, USC had a couple of nice kick returns as well. The, the kick return game continues to be pretty good. You know, they did have a couple of penalties, uh, but uh, you know, the big block at the end. Obviously, you got to give them credit for that. And I know people will try to say, "Oh, well, the guy just fell down." No, he didn't just fall down. USC had, had seen that that was kind of that guy's blocking style that he just kind of dies for people's knees. And Brendan Peely, basically, because he's super athletic, you know, basically sachets out of the way and the guy Sachet, wow the guy dies in the team block there i know jay tofele is the guy that gets there and gets it but you gotta give credit to brandon peely as well for getting out of the way and forcing you know that guy diving at him and completely missing uh because of how quick brandon peely is so i got special teams as well i had special teams uh for a fan favorite stock neutral Do-do-do-do. uh no. i just i don't know i don't know if they really deserve a stock up uh why not honors. what do they do bad Maybe I'm a little biased. I'm the having punting, like <sighs> the punting was better. I mean, the only thing you could take away is that there were two penalties on them, but there's a penalty on them every game. So, but th- so that should be good enough reason to put them in stock up. Their stock is obviously up. They blocked a kick. <laughs> okay, you know the last game they gave up a blocked field goal that went the other way for a touchdown. How is that not up? I don't know how you can <laughs> say that that's not up. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> I just I wanted to poke the bear a little bit, so it worked. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I had stock up on. Uh, it's actually a submission from our uh, fan submission from David. He said stock up on USC fans for actually showing up on a Friday night game. I did not expect as many people to show up as they did, and it was pretty gross around the stadium. They closed down a couple streets, um, and it's interesting. Clay Helton and Cam in the press uh, post game presser actually made uh, a point to say the fans really made a difference for them camp seemed pretty emphatic about it and i think for a young team like this as we've seen on the road if things don't really go their way which they were down i think 30 to 17 at the half 
having fans in it and, and cheering behind them really made a difference for this young team. So stock up fans. You did a good job showing up. Yeah, I agree with that. That's, that's a good point. I mean, I did not expect as many people were there and it was pretty, pretty loud for the amount of people that were there. So I do give a lot of credit for the fans. I had one more stock up. I had Cameron Smith, you know, 15 tackles. The kid's always in the right position, it seems like. Uh, you know, the way that they were trying to defend Washington State lent to Washington State trying to throw in between kind of the cracks of the defense, of the zone defense USC had. And Cameron Smith did as much as he could to try to rally it and not allow any missed tackles and, and guys to get bigger gains than he did when they threw over the middle. 15 tackles is always a quality performance. Without a doubt. Stock down, who you got? I'm going to say Clancy Pendergast against Mike Leach. Uh, so I don't, I don't have the stats in front of me, but you know, the, I think they showed it uh, in the broadcast. But there's a, you know, Clancy Pendergast has not been great against Mike Leach. He's been really, really good against a lot of, lot of offensive minds. But against Mike Leach, and especially this week when you have a short week, you know, I, I just thought it was going to be trouble for USC even before the season started. And it, it's really difficult to prepare for the way that Mike Leach does it. You know, I, I thought Clancy tried to do some different things. I thought it was interesting what he tried to do, you know, with some 3-3 principles rather than the, their four-man front that they normally have in the first half. You know, they, they basically put three uh, pass rushers, three down linemen, and three linebackers moving John Houston actually into the middle. So John Houston was playing more of a middle linebacker spot with Cam Smith and Pallier Natiote when he was in there on the two edges of, of the uh, linebacker crew. So they were trying to do some different things because of the way Mike Leach was able to attack USC last year. And, you know, it's constantly – it's a fun battle when, when we watch that and see how they kind of attack each other. Mike Leach with his, like – it seems like Mike Leach has just taken like a piece of paper. Like he has a, you know, someone threw out a stat sheet and he just grabs the stat sheet and like folds it in half and uses the back of it. Like, okay, let's try this play and this play. And like, it, it just seems like it's on a sheet of paper that he's like making up plays as he goes. The Denny's menu? Yeah. No, he doesn't have a Denny's menu. He has a piece of paper. Oh. Just a sheet of white sheet of paper. Like it doesn't even look like it's laminated. It doesn't look like anything. It looks like it's just a folded white sheet of paper. Like he just took an extra, like somebody had a leftover. Uh, game notes or something. He's like, okay, let me take this sheet of paper. I'm gonna fold it over in half, and I'll just write on. I'll write out whatever plays we need on that. He's such an interesting man. When the <laughs> Wazoo was coming out of the tunnel, like Wazoo was trying to be like all tough and stuff like that, and so the players clear out, and then here's Leach just kind of walking leisurely in, drinking a cup and like throwing it off to the side and kind of like waddling in. It was just like, who are you? It's just he's such an interesting person. Yeah, I had, he's a unique character. Yeah, I'd stock down on discipline. Uh, USC had 40 yards of penalties in the first quarter alone. They ended up with 68 or 65 on the on the game. They had 99 against Texas. I just think penalties are an issue, uh, especially they've had a, a penalty on special teams every game this uh, season. I just think those are things you need to clean up. Uh, on defense, uh, there was one drive where Malik Doran and Porter Gustin both have an offsides, keep the drive going. So that's something you need to clean up going forward. And in tough, close games, that's not going to win you the game going forward. So just clean that up. I don't know how you specifically address that, but you got to clean it up. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's something that, that has been uh, a concern. USC has been one of the most penalized teams for what like 45 years now it seems like uh so you know it's been something that's carried over from the pete carroll days and everything else now uh, you, you would like to see them be a little bit better with those things and it's, it's not just that they get penalties but it's ones like the jumping off sides and stuff now granted you know uh you saw that washington state was called for disconcerting signals uh twice where they tried to make usc's uh, offensive line jump by the you know the middle linebacker yelling like 
move or whatever it is that he was trying to yell at them to try to try to get guys going. Uh, so, you know, USC was getting the benefit of some calls. So you expect them to play a little bit better and, and not, you know, it's not like the Texas game where it seemed like every call was going against them. There were a lot of calls that went their way. So, you know, you got to take clean up the ones that you can control, like the offsides and, and things like that. Yeah, I've got tackling on stock down. I mean, I think that one's pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, our friends there, he had 17 missed tackles in the game. Uh, and there was even a couple more where I was like, I think this guy should get a missed tackle as well that, you know, they didn't give, you know, the touchdown throw where Levi Jones has a shot at the quarterback. He didn't get a missed tackle for that. Uh, but, you know, th- they had opportunities where they could have, instead of it being third and one, it would have been third and three or third and five. You know, instead of it being second and six, it would have been second and nine. And those little things add up. And it's at first now USC did a really good job of rallying to the ball. And the, the missed tackles that they had, you know, didn't turn into, oh, well, they missed a tackle and the guy ran 45 yards or whatever it was, little Jordan Humphrey for Texas. They didn't have that. But when they missed a tackle, it was like an opportunity to, you know, have a negative play, a, a negative a one or negative two yard uh, play turns into a two yard gain. And with that, you know, Washington State was able to condense the field, you know, get a lot of third and shorts. I think USC faced like five third longs the entire game or Washington State faced that many. Uh, USC was able to force five third and longs, if I remember correctly, maybe six. Um, so, you know, when that happened, USC did a much better job of, of, you know, their defense and what they were trying to do was able to, you know, take away some of those middle routes that are quick and force the the check downs and then rally to the ball then. But they weren't able to do that a ton because of how many third and threes, third and fours, third and ones that Washington State was able to get. And then even if Washington State doesn't get it on third and one, you know what they do? They go for it on fourth and one. Yeah. And that's something that I think you could see the start to kind of break down. You saw it in Texas, some one arm, two high tackles, um, not two high in safety, but like two high upwards. <laughs> um, and we actually saw the return of tackling drills that we haven't seen in a while at USC. They actually returned to full pads for the first time in two weeks. Uh, the DB some did some tackling drills, which I think was needed. And they also did on Wednesday, some open space, open field tackles, uh, which I think is needed. So stock down on tackling, but at least they actually did drills that we haven't seen in a while to at least try and address it, which I think I wouldn't expect from USC at this point in the season. That was good. They, they went, uh, you know, they attacked a, a, a weakness that they had this past week. They went in the practice and they attacked it. I think that's what they have to do. That's something that we haven't seen them do uh, as much, you know, because what has always been the thing? Okay. We're going to do the same thing every week. We're yep. just going to keep our routine, but it seemed like they changed some things this week. Uh, so actually I should have put this on stock up. That was a change for me is that, you know, they changed the lineup. You saw that, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, Jay Tefele was in there and, uh, Malik, I mean, uh, Marlon Tupelo started the week before, but those two guys were together instead of Malik Dorton and Brandon Peely. You saw Talanoa in there. You saw the receivers. You saw Amon Ross St. Brown get his first start, uh, over Tyler Vaughn's. So there was just some changes there. You know, Akasedric Ware was, was out, uh, for most of the game. He played only four snaps. He's actually on my stock down. He's my next stock down, Akasedric Ware. But before I get to him, you know, just, uh, you know, it was good to see USC. You know, when you're struggling, you need to have change. That's something I called for the entire last week after, you know, two straight losses. They needed to change something. So I was, uh, you know, that's a stock up for them that they did go and make those changes. Yeah, I actually, we got a question on the live show earlier today about is USC's uh, lineups written in stone or are they written in sand? And I was like, if you had asked me this a week earlier, I probably would have said stone, knowing Clay Helton and knowing how things sort of get cemented towards the the latter half of the season and how the lineups don't really mean as much going forward. 
Uh, I would have said stone, but I was surprised seeing the, sh- the shakeups we saw. Um, I didn't expect Amon Ra to start over Tyler Vaughn, saw Tyler Vaughn's on the second drive. So those are just interesting things that I didn't necessarily expect from Clay Helton, but I, I like that you're at least keeping some guys on their toes. Yeah, I definitely thought it was a good idea. But you you mentioned the stock down. Yeah, Akacedric Ware, I mean, he's had to, he was having some knee problems last week, but you know, it didn't seem like it was, okay, well, we tried him a couple plays. It didn't work. You know, it seemed like, you know, he tried out then and it wasn't like, okay, well, his knee's bothering him, so this is just not going to work. You know, he gained, uh, he lost five yards on a run and then he gained five yards on the next one. Uh, but it, it, uh, it seemed like they took it, took an opportunity to use him and then decided, yeah, we don't, never mind. So it, it makes you wonder, is it, you know, what, is it just the knee or was there more to it? I know a lot of people wanted to speculate that it was because he said they didn't practice hard the week before, so he's getting punished for it. I don't necessarily know that it's that, but it seems like there's more to it than just the knee. You know, the fact that he played two snaps in the second quarter and then came back and had a, he started the drive in the third quarter, the second drive, and, you know, they, they passed it or they threw, uh, they passed it twice or one, one run and one pass. I'm not sure, but he didn't get the ball either time. So, uh, so it was interesting that they used him in two both halves, but only for two plays each half. So I, I thought that he had, his stock was down just based on that because it seemed like there was something else going on more than just the knee. Yeah, and it, it, he was put on place where he wasn't really given a fair shot. He was put in in the the second and twenty nine. Right? It's yeah. just it's weird things like that where I'm like, what? And then talk when. Clay Helton was asked about it. It seemed a little bit of revisionist history of how injured said actually was because Helton really didn't mention. Yeah. said was a little limited last week, but on Wednesday, Helton was like, yeah, he was, he really wasn't there. He wasn't there for us. And I had to lean on Vi and, and Steven Carr in this point important game when we had to win. So I leaned on them. So I, to me, it's a little weird, the whole thing around it, but I don't also see Clay Helton punishing said for his words like that. So I, I, I don't really buy into this conspiracy theory, but it is weird <laughs> in general. Um, yeah, definitely. I had stuck down on Greg Johnson and Isaiah Langley. Uh, I think Greg got a little picked on in Washington State. I thought he was a little slow um, coming out of his breaks. I thought wide receivers were able to get separation uh, pretty easily. And uh, also stuck down just for the sake of... I, uh, Elijah Griffin getting first team reps on Wednesday with the defense. That was something when talking to Elijah, he said he wasn't expecting. Uh, that was something, a, a curveball from the coaches and he doesn't know what his playing time might be on Saturday. Obviously he ho- he hopes for, for a lot, but I think the coaches are at the point with Isaiah Langley and Greg Johnson where it's like, maybe we just try Elijah Griffin. Let's see if he can at least match their, their production or be better. So I think the fact that you're seeing Elijah get reps like that at this point is stock down for them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if a freshman comes in and he's getting reps over you, then that means that something's not going right. So, yeah, I definitely agree with that one. Who else you got for stock down? That's it for me. I, I got three or four guys there. Uh, you know, I, I thought that USC played pretty well, and there were some things there that they can clean up. But and overall, I thought USC did pretty well in this game, and you know, there was just the, the defense not being able to get off the field on third downs was probably the biggest thing for him. We had a submission from Ben who said, uh, stock down on pass rushing. And you and, and I talked about this a little bit last night in our film study. How do you, what do you expect from USC's front and pass rush when you have a guy like Gardner Minshew who's getting the ball off quick? Uh, it's a quick 
uh, offense in that sense? Are you really expecting a lot? Because you can't, you don't have a lot of time to, to affect the quarterback per se. Yeah, it can be very difficult and very frustrating for a defensive lineman when you're facing a, an attack like Washington State where they're going to throw a lot of quick, short passes. You know, you might beat your guy and then you're like, you look up, you know, you make a nice swim move or whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden you're like, damn, the ball's already been out for a half second. You know, it's very frustrating when the ball comes out so quickly and you can't do anything. So it's partly on, you know, the secondary to give them a little bit more time. And, you know, when USC was running a lot of zone defenses, they weren't able to create enough of a, a pause, I guess, for the defensive line to get there. But then even when they did, you know, the defensive line wasn't getting there a ton. You saw the difference when Port Augustine came in. You know, they were able to get a little bit more pressure then with him there. And, you know, it was also the difference of, you know, three down linemen trying to rush versus four when Port Augustine came in. You know, a lot of times in the first half they would drop a linebacker or, you know, they would use a straight three, three, five. Uh, so they were doing some different things to try to uh, affect the quarterback there, but they weren't able to get the pass rush. And you saw, like, I think it was the very first snap that Washington State had. When you get a pass rush, Jay Tefelli beats his guy and kind of chases Minshew out of the pocket. What a big difference it makes because then he's on the run. He has to throw the ball away rather than being able to sit there in the pocket. Okay, let me scan option A, option B, option C, option A, option C, option D, option E. You know, He's able to go through his progression multiple times on some of those plays because he just had so much time back in the pocket. So USC has to do a better job of getting to the uh, pass rusher, and their blitzing was not effective. You know, John Houston a couple times got there, but – you know, even when John Houston was able to get to the quarterback and he hits the quarterback's arm as the quarterback releases the ball, you know, it was a deep ball to uh, to to one of the receivers that gained like 59 yards to to give Washington State get them right back in scoring position after USC had taken the lead in the fourth quarter. That was like the first play after that. You know, John Houston go, does a nice job blitzing, gets by, he gets picked up by the running back. You know, he, he kind of goes through the running back and he hits the quarterback's arm after he releases the ball, but it was just a, that much too late to be able to get there. So I think their blitzing has to do a little bit better job. They have to disguise it a little bit more. Sometimes they give it away a little too early. And Minshew was able to do a really nice job of, you know, if he saw that a safety was blitzing, he was going to throw right where that safety had been on, you know, previously before he came up uh, into the box. So that was like the, one of the touchdowns against Greg Johnson. Talanoa Hufunga is blitzing and, you know, Minshew sees that and he's like, okay, I'm going to throw right where you were at previously. And his receiver beats Greg Johnson and there's nobody back there to stop him after that. Let's transition to heard it on the sideline. What did you hear this week, Shotgun? First, let me start with Gardner Minshew's accent. I was walking by the Washington <laughs> State bench and I was like, oh, that sounds like the Deep South. That sounds uh, that sounds homely, homey uh, there uh, because, uh, you know, Minshew is from Brandon, Mississippi. He ended up going to East Carolina so he he definitely has a southern accent. He's got that deep south draw. Uh, so so that was fun to hear for me, just because I was like, wait, wait, one of my people, one of my people's here. <laughs> Your people. Um, <laughs> with the return of tackling and full pads, you're in a little bit different motivation from coaches this week. I heard Johnny Nansen on Tuesday. Uh, he was getting up uh, in people's faces, and one of those times he said, "You need to make contact football." is a contact sport, like kind of <laughs> condescending a little bit. So it was funny hearing that from Nansen. He's a little fiery sometimes, so he's funny that way. Yeah, so you know they were able to get after the players a little bit more this week. I mean, I think I told you on Wednesday, I was like, listen, it sounds like a football practice. You know, there was pads popping. There was, you know, there was coaches yelling. It was just sounded that much different to me. You, I don't know if you agreed, uh, but I thought it sounded uh, a lot different this week. It sounded 
sort of the same. I thought there was a noticeable change last week when when Drevno and Clay Helton were very adamant and, and yelling a lot. I think maybe I'm just used to the sounds of fall camp, and maybe that's why I wasn't too shocked. But I think you're right to a certain extent. It did seem a little bit. There's a little more pop in the air. <laughs> a little poop. That's all. My herd it is really boring this week. That's all I had. That's all you had. How about the reaction to Michael Pittman's uh, touchdown being called back? You oh no, Clay, that was great. <laughs> you saw Clay Helton, you know, basically like just absolutely miffed, uh, or not called back, but not called it, not re- not re- reviewed and uh, overturned when it should have been a touchdown uh, from our vantage point. But just seeing Clay Helton's reaction, I got a photo of Gavin Morris uh, and. Marquis Step, both of them with their, you know, with the Surrender Cobra, you know, just very upset, you know, with their hands behind their head. Uh, so, you know, you saw how much that play meant to USC. And also, before the the ruling was made, you saw guys, when they thought it was going to be a touchdown, you saw guys like Tyler Vaughn's dancing on the sideline. You know, they thought that was going to be a touchdown. So it was, it was a big emotional swing for the guys, you know, going from, okay, we see the replay in, in, the, uh, in the stadium. We think that's a touchdown to the referees don't agree and how much it changed in in a uh, three-minute swing. Yeah, you. I, I was reading lips and the rest were telling Helton, okay, no matter what, uh, you're going to get two seconds on the clock and possibly a touchdown. And Clay Helton was like, I want both. I want two seconds and I want a <laughs> touchdown. And they were like, well, we'll see. And so it, it was good spirits until they came back and everyone was just like, what? And um, Clay Helton, people, I tweeted this and I was surprised that people were surprised because Clay Helton was like, that's an effing touchdown. He was like, he was super mad. And like Clay Helton can let it fly. If you listen last week, I told you like he he can can he's a sailor out there sometimes. So uh, it's it's he gets feisty. So don't be surprised by that. Yeah, but you see, you know when when the when it was eventually called, Clay Helton was just uh, just miffed by it. Then Michael Pittman's like ripping his chin straps off of his helmet. Uh, you see Marquis Step, and Marquis Step was one of the most emotional players on the sideline after that play. I, I don't know if he just. He was just in his mind. He was sold that that was going to be a touchdown. And then when it wasn't, he was kind of distraught. He's like jumped up and down. He's like, what? This is cr-. Yeah, so it was interesting to see his reaction to it as well. I also have on Hurdy on the sideline, when I was walking by the sideline, you saw that the running backs were actually with the offensive linemen. I know I know this is not the first week they've done it, but it was the first time I paid much, paid attention to it. And I talked to Austin Jackson about it. He said, you know, it's good. We should all be in there. We're all, we're, we're all on the same page. It helps the communication a lot. I think it's definitely helped us a lot, too. So you actually see, you know, usually it's been the offensive line is in a circle with Neil Calloway in the middle, you know, yelling out instruction, but also asking, what are you seeing? Now they've got the running backs there, so the running backs can give their opinion because of how much the running backs are being used to block. You know, you need those guys in. They're basically like an extra offensive lineman, especially when you have, you know, when Washington State's bringing seven guys, you're expecting that that running back to pick a guy up as well. And I thought they did a pretty good job of that in the game, the running backs blocking. But I think it's a really good thing for USC to have those uh, backs sitting with the offensive linemen and showing what the, you know, showing the, the, the blocking schemes and showing what they're seeing as well as running backs, not only for the blocking of, for passing, but also the running backs like, hey, yeah, I want to get outside, but you guys aren't blocking that way. You can give your feedback back and forth. I think it's really good that they're they're on the same page and communicating a little bit more. Yeah, that's something that I've noticed 
uh, different this season. And actually talking to Vivai Malapai, uh, after Tuesday's practice, he said that, uh, something new this season is in the film room. The offensive linemen, running backs and tight ends get together and watch film just for blocking purposes. And he said that's something new this season and that they're actually leaning on it more as the season progresses. So I think that's positive. The more you can get on the same page blocking across those position groups is good for USC. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's obviously a product of Tim Drevno being a former offensive line coach and now being the running backs coach at, at USC. You know, he's coached tight ends as well. And, you know, for all the blocking and him being the run game coordinator, he wants his guys all on the same page. So I think that's a really good uh, yeah, idea for them. That's it for me. I, I had heard nothing else. <laughs> that's it for me as well. Okay, agree, disagree. USC's defense has enough discipline to hold gap integrity and not over-pursue slash do too much against Arizona this week. Yeah, I definitely think they can. I, I mean, I know that's the question, and we, we talked about it a little bit. We broke down one play uh, where the, the outside linebackers or the defensive ends, you know, Christian Rector, Port Augustine, those guys, you know, when there's a read option and the play goes outside, it's not always their fault. You know, they're, they're often going after the dive, uh, you know, the, the running back coming down. So you'll, you'll see that, you know, if a guy gets outside, it's not always their fault, it, but they're doing their job of taking the running back. You have to just do your job when you're facing an option attack, whether it be the read option, whether it be a triple option. You have to be focused on what your, what your task is on every play because if your task is the dive, you have to take that and make sure that, that play doesn't go anywhere. And then you have to rely on your teammate. You know, on a, one play it was you know, uh, Port Augustine came down on the, on the running back and you, you saw that there was a safety there to take the quarterback. You know, each player has to maintain their assignment. And if you do that, you do all do your assignment, then you'll, you'll get stops. But if you try to play, you know, you try to do too much sometimes, you know, really good players will try to do too much. You know, Leonard Williams, they would sometimes do the read option and leave him unblocked and force him to make the decision because he thinks that he can, you know, I can, well, I can try to get to the running back, but then I'll, tr- I'll help out with a quarterback still. You know, those type of players that, are, you know, are really good think they can do more than, than they need to sometimes. And sometimes they get caught in between and that allows for big plays. So you really have to, when you're facing those type of attacks, you have to just maintain your assignment. You beat your guy and, and take care of, of what you're supposed to do, and then use and trust your teammates to take care of theirs. The Trojans will not have a penalty on special teams this week. Disagree. <laughs> Was that track easy? Record, yeah, track record says that they will. I mean, they're they're very consistent with having a penalty. I mean, I haven't looked back at last year, but I would assume if it wasn't every game, it was all but one, maybe two at most. I mean, they had like 10 or 12 in the Notre Dame game by itself. Uh, Khalil Tate will not rush for more than 30 yards. Ooh, um, I'm going to disagree. Ooh. In what sense? Now, oh, now are we counting sack yardage yeah. too? Because, yes. Yeah. No, I think I'll agree. I think, it, you know, I don't think he's running a lot this season. I think it's partly the ankle injury, but also that Kevin Sumlin and Noel Mazzoni are basically trying to make him more of a pocket passer. Um, so he hasn't run a ton. Maybe they're saving that for someone. Maybe USC is that team. Um, but if he's healthy with the ankle, he could run for big yardage. But I think USC's done a pretty good job of corralling him the last two years uh, at times. So, you know, I think he still ran pretty well last year, but two years ago he didn't run for anything because, you know, USC was beating up on him. So this is a tough one because you get a sack, then, that, you know, he's going to try to avoid the sacks and stuff. But if you get a sack, it might be a 12 yard loss rather than a six yard loss. So this is a very tough one for me. I'm going to go with 
I think I'm gonna change my mind again. I'm thinking <laughs> like he's gonna get thirty. Yeah, he'll get thirty. So I said more than thirty. It's yeah, like an over at, under. What are you taking? He'll, he'll at least get that. So I, I agree. He'll get at least thirty. He might get like thirty five, but thirty six. So I'm saying he will not rush for more than thirty yards. So you disagree with that? You think he'll get thirty five? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay, but in that Changed sense, the question like four times on me. No, I did not. <laughs> false um in that sense though i feel like usc fans in general knowing how much this game means to khalil tate do you think i feel like there's this thought in usc fans minds that like even though khalil tate hasn't been running a lot this game he's gonna be like i'm gonna do whatever it takes to win i'm gonna run and be khalil and do it do you do you see that possibly happening uh, i don't think he's gonna go out of his comfort zone to do that now if they win if usc beats arizona this year next year when he comes back to la because uh, i don't see him leaving early this season but you know being an la guy his last game against usc at, at the coliseum then i think yeah that might be the game where he's like all right i'm doing it all on my own i don't care <laughs> last one usc should use the thor package if you don't know that's the package with a uh, 99 brett nealon or justin Dedich. it's been nealon for a while now uh, and they use him as a fullback or h-back uh USC should use that package more. You can, but you're going to have to build some options off of it. So this game, they ran to the left every single time. You know, they, they went with it before the, the Thor package had been, you know, either Dietrich or Nealon had been used, had been used as an H back. This was the first time we saw them line up as a, as a fullback and they went to the left every, all four times they ran the play and it worked out for them. They scored a touchdown and then, they also were able to get a first down to, to salt away the clock at the very end. So, you know, I think that you have to start, if you're going to use that and you're going to use it more, then you have to start using, you have to start doing some different things. You have to run the counter play off of it. You have to, you know, you have to do some play action, throw the tight ends. You know, I don't know that Nealon's going to be your guy that's going to be your, uh, that's going to be your um, pass catching option, but you, those guys can stay in to block on the play or whatever it may be. I thought that Nealon did a really good job of blocking on the plays that he was in. You know, And I, I like the fact that he's going downhill on that. So using that extra lineman is not an issue for me. But you're going to if you showcase that same formation again, you're going to see teams have 10 guys in the box. You're going to have one-on-one coverage on the outside with the one wide receiver you have, and you'll have 10 guys in the box. So then can you block 10 guys? That's going to be the question. So maybe you go play action, throw it to the tight end, you know, on a, on a you know on a crossing route or something to pick up the first down. Those type of things in the short yardage, you have to do. You have to build off of what you've shown on tape uh, as you go forward. Uh, going into questions, uh, it is now USC has played their fourth game. The new redshirt rule says you can only play four games before you can redshirt. Who in your mind, you're the one of the guys who've tracked the most. I know USC has someone who does that. That's essentially what you do too. Who in your mind would you redshirt at this point? And in my mind, I'm thinking Isaac Taylor Stewart, they only have him on special teams. Do you, a guy like him, do you take him off now? Or do you just keep a guy like him, keep progressing on special teams and getting more game experience? And it's tough because you're not getting any defensive reps. He's got four defensive reps this season. So, you know, how invaluable is he there? But you, you also have to look like you eventually have to have some people play special teams. Like a guy like Giuliano Falonico did not redshirt last year. He played special teams all the time. I mean, Hunter Eccles this season, if he, was, if he hadn't redshirted last year, we'll say if he was a true freshman, 
I mean, he's got 36 defensive snaps. He's getting a little bit of time playing defense, but he's you know playing 20 something snaps a game defense uh, on special teams. So you know you have to have some guys that are out there for special teams. So is Isaac Taylor Stewart that guy, or is he is he does he have the potential of being that good as a cornerback that you don't want to keep him? I mean, that you don't want to burn this year. And also the question becomes, is he that good enough that? You don't think he's going to make it four years at USC? You think he'll leave after you know he could leave after a redshirt uh, sophomore or as a redshirt junior? Uh, if you do that, then you really there's no use in redshirting a person anyways if they're not going to make it to a red that fifth year. I think Isaac Taylor Stewart is very tough because you know how long is he going to you know be at USC? Do you need him on special teams? I think Devin Williams is another guy that that you have to question. You know how much is he? He's played 19 offensive snaps. Is that enough to to warrant you continue to play him? I think with the fact that JT is getting more comfortable with you know Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughns, and he already is comfortable with Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Valus Jones and Trayvon Sidney. I think at this point, you know how much are you using Devin Williams? Is he going to get more playing time? I don't know. So maybe it's time that you 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 put him down uh, as a red shirt and don't use him anymore. You know, there's a couple other guys that, that have similar occurrences that, that are looking at it, but those are the two that, that stand out the most to me. I think you got to figure out what you're going to do with those two guys. Yeah, I would agree. We have a question from David who says, Clancy Pendergast is playing many more players this year, including lots of freshmen. Is that a change of philosophy or just a matter of necessity? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think he trusts guys a little bit more. I think he trusts a uh, you know a young guy like Palaia and Atiote that he's going to make plays. I think he's you know he's been forced to at the safety position, obviously. Uh, so you're going to those younger guys and, and trusting them because you have to. But he's also rotating more guys on the edge. You're seeing you know Kanai Malga got a you know a couple snaps. You know Hunter Eccles is getting in there for a few snaps. You know I, I think it's a little bit of a combination of both. What do you think the biggest challenge USC will face when going to Arizona? Uh, dealing with a crowd, you know, at seven thirty, they should be, you know, really turned up and, and you know, ready to have a great time. Uh, you know, and the, you know, the crowd is the zona zoo exactly. Whereas two years ago when we went, it was one hundred thirty six <sighs> degrees on the field for us, and by halftime, USC was dominating, and there was like maybe fifteen people in the zona zoo, which mm-hmm. is their student section. Like there was no one there because it was right in the sun. There was no shade anywhere. And they were like, yeah, I can go do better things than to watch this crappy product uh, <laughs> where Khalil Tate was making his first start. And then they later brought in like a four string tight end to be the quarterback. You know, that that's how ridiculous that season was for them. They had some injuries at the quarterback position, which caused all that. But I think this they are much more excited about the team this year than they were at that point. So I, I think, you know, with a 730 start, they're going to be ready to, to turn up and have a good time. And they're going to be loud and proud. Uh, so I think it's going to be similar to last year with Arizona State, though. If you can get out to an early lead, you can shut them up really quickly. Yeah, and we've seen USC was able to shut up Texas for a little bit. So I think this will be a, a, a test of growth if they can actually do that, get, get ahead, stay ahead, and shut the crowd up on the road. We'll see. And finally, before we wrap it up, final score prediction, Mr. Gunn. What do you think? Uh, I haven't even considered this one yet. Uh <laughs> Uh, maybe like, I don't even, what's the spread? I don't even know. It's like three. Three. Oh, three wow. According maybe to Ryan. 28-17 USC. 28-17. Oh, okay. I feel like, I'm feeling like 38-35 for some reason. High scoring, oh, wow. but close. Yeah, I mean, last week I predicted USC was going to lose. 
at halftime, I was feeling pretty good about that. I was like, you know what? I don't <laughs> think this offense can keep up. So that was at least surprising. I'm saying USC is going to win this week. I'm not sure how I feel, how confident I feel about it. I feel like it could either be like a blowout or really close, which yeah, is. I think, I think they cover this week. Well, that's your first mistake there. <laughs> yeah, probably. But I got them winning 28-17. It could be easily be 31 to 24. I mean, they could be, they could put 40. I mean, they scored 49 points on them last year. So I don't know that the Arizona defense has gotten that much better. I mean, they're a little bit better because they can't be as bad as last year. But, you know, I, I don't think that USC is going to have a diff, too much of a difficulty scoring. It's going to be taking care of the ball, not having penalties, not, not shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, you know, those type of things are what can easily cause you, cause the same thing where things start snowballing on, on the, uh, on the and when you're on the road against a, an opponent where the fans are going to be, you know, uh, up in arms and wanting to beat you very much. Yeah, I think if anything, USC will have a, a major hand in their loss if they lose. So, but that's going to wrap it up. We're going to head out to Tucson pretty soon. Here, Ryan Abraham won't be on the trip, but we will. Uh, but Chuck, and any final thoughts before we wrap it up? You know, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how USC continues to progress. I thought the offense took a step forward. I know the offensive line, I thought they you know, took a step forward, even though others don't necessarily agree with me. Uh, but I, I think that the con- chemistry between JT Daniels and receivers is getting better. The offensive line communication seems to be getting better. So I think that this offense is starting to put things together. We'll see if they can do it two weeks in a row and do it on the road. That's a big thing. You, know, you talked at the very beginning about mental toughness. That's been kind of a buzzword this week. I mean, Clay Helton has said it. You know, I, when I talked to Christian Rector, that's something he pointed out. You know, that's something that they they know they got to be more mentally tough if they want to win on the road. And that's what happens. You know, if, if the momentum starts going against you, can you turn things around? You got to be mentally tough enough to do that. I know we said this last week, but how much is this this game a turning point potentially either way in the season? Uh, going on the road, possibly getting a win, getting that first Pac-12 South win, or getting a loss in the South. Uh, how much does this game really dictate where the rest of the season goes? I mean, you're, you're sitting at you know at two and two. Could have been one and three if you lost last week. Could have been much different. You can finish the month three and two. That's what I said they would do originally. Uh, you know, going through the, the schedule before the season. And then you have a bye week, so you can lick your wounds and get ready, and you can progress and you can build off of it. I think I completely agree that this is a huge game for USC because it could determine the rest of the season. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, we're ending on naturally. A, on naturally, agreement. you agree with me. Or in, naturally, oh, you agree with I, me. I dislike you. You're awful. <laughs> <laughs> because you know you want to be right. No, I just happen to agree with the concept. Maybe not with mm-hmm. you. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. You know you want to be right. No, whatever. We're going to end it on that note. That's Shotgun Sprattling. I'm Keely Orr. Uh, be sure to catch us on Facebook Live on Sunday. We'll be giving our thoughts and our reactions to how the game goes. And we'll be back uh, for a special bye week podcast uh, next week. But be sure to tune in. Thanks for listening to us. And we'll see you next week. Peace.